This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. Ringgit and Sense on BFM 89.9, the business station. Welcome to Ringgit and Sense, the show that's all about personal finance. I'm Roshan Kanesan. Retirement is an essential part of financial planning, but most Malaysians struggle to achieve this. Reportedly, 70% of EPF members who withdraw their funds at age 55 use up their savings less than a decade after retiring. It's also been noted that more than two-thirds of EPF members age 54 had less than 50,000 ringgit in their EPF savings. So today I explore how we can achieve this important financial goal whether APF is enough and the common mistakes Malaysians make to the detriment of their retirement. And to help me with this, I'm speaking with Idham Idris, Director and Licensed Financial Planner with Wealth Vantage Advisory. Idham, welcome back to Ring and Incense. Hey, thank you, Roshan. Happy to be here. So first things first, Idham, a big step of this is to kind of determine what our retirement needs are. But before that, I'd like you to kind of go into some of the key factors that we all need to understand and take into consideration before we even talk about retirement needs. With regards to your question, Roshan, actually the most important thing is to determine how your expenses will look like after you retire. This is actually the number one key factor. So when you're retiring, are you still going to be paying for that mortgage, the car loan, the children's tertiary education fees, the internet and phone bill, that Netflix account? So studies have shown that most retirees will spend about 50 to 70% of their last drawn salary the first few years of retirement. And only then we look at the next key factor, which is what will the retirement fund look like? So will it be drawn from the pension? Is it coming from the EPF account, your current personal savings, your investments? Is it going to be financed by a rental income or maybe even financial support from your children? And then that last factor is how long will that money need to last? So the average life expectancy in Malaysia is about 76 years old. But do note that that is the average age. So depending on how healthy you are, you may exceed that and require retirement income beyond the age of 76. So number one is how much will you spend every month? Number two, how much do you have at the point of your retirement? And number three, how long do you need that money to last? Right. So those are the things that we really paying attention to. Now, what about things like inflation? How does that factor into the way we think about retirement? Is it something that you address with your clients early on or is it something that can get a bit complicated sometimes? Yeah. So when you talk about inflation, that's why you need to know what your monthly expenses is first. Mm. Because only then you can factor in what will be the true value of your retirement income at the point of you retiring. So for example, right now, perhaps maybe you're 40 years old and you plan to retire at age 55. So if let's say you say, okay, I think I need about 3,000 ringgit to cover my monthly expenses without paying mortgages or car loan. All that has already been paid for by the time you retire. Let's make that assumption. So let's say you say, okay, 3,000 will be enough. But that's 3,000 now. It's not 3,000 15 years down the road. So when you're talking about 15 years down the road, that 3,000 can actually grow to become 5,000 because as you know, money now is worth more than money in the future. It's due to that inflation. So in fact, 
whatever that you think that you need now, you actually do have to account for that inflation, which we actually take our clients through the process of knowing the true figure of what you actually need for your retirement during your retirement age. Yeah, that's why it's very important when you take a look at your retirement needs, not to use today's number and assume it's going to be the same, right? It's important to take inflation into consideration, especially if you're 10, 20, 30 years down the road from your retirement. Uh, just with all this in mind, it, what are the first five steps that we should take in order to determine our retirement needs? You've gone through the three main factors there, but maybe you could make it like a step-by-step -step situation now. Okay, so it's as simple as, first of all, have that figure in mind. That's number one. Step one, have a figure in mind. What will the monthly expenses look like after retirement? And this is disregarding all loan repayments. Let's say you are no longer paying for any mortgages. You're no longer paying for any car loans. What are the things that you still need to continue to pay for? Because you need to remember that you do want to maintain that same standard of lifestyle. So maybe you still want to go out every weekend. Maybe you still want to go on short trips. Maybe you still want to eat out once in a while. So those are some of the things that you have to bear in mind. And what is that figure? Is it 3000 a month? Is it 4000 a month? Is it 5000 a month? Now, once you have that figure, let's assume it's 5000 a month. Multiply that figure by 12. So 60000 That is your annual expenses. And then how many years up to the expected life expectancy age after you retire? How long do you need that money to last? So assuming that you retire at age 55 and the life expectancy age is 76, that means at minimum, you're looking at 21 years that you need to be spending 60000 every month. So just by doing a quick calculation, 60000 times 21 is about $1.2 million, $1.26 million. So that's how much you need at minimum without even counting for inflation yet. Yeah. So about 1.2, roughly about 1.3 million just to survive up to your life expectancy age. So that's step two. Step three is you need to factor in the major expenses after retirement and the potential impact to the monthly expenses. So for example, things like annual holidays, the festivities that you may have to fork out money for, the car insurance that you still have to pay for, and also maybe your medical card insurance that you will continue to pay after you retire. Maybe a monthly allowance for your kids while they're still you know, in university and still depending on you for their financial needs, college fees and all that. So all this, you need to add on top of the final retirement figure. So we're talking about maybe, let's say another 1 million, okay? So that's 2.2 million that you do need to just cover whatever that I mentioned just now. From here, you have to remind yourself that 2.2 million is based on your current expected, like right now that you're thinking about the figures now. Now you have to account for inflation. So usually what I do is we use an inflation calculator to see how much the amount needs to be when you actually retire. So from now until the age you retire, let's say if the figure is, just now we mentioned about 2 million and you're retiring in 15 years time, that figure actually balloons to 3.6 million. It's because of that roughly about 4% of inflation from now until the age of 55. So that inflation will cause that initial figure to grow and 
by the time you retire, you know that, okay, now at least my expenses will be in line with the inflation 15 years down the road. So number one, have the figure in mind. Number two, figure out the annual expenses and how long it's going to last until you reach your expected life expectancy. And number three is factor in the major expenses like whatever I mentioned, you know, annual holidays, festivities, monthly allowance, things like that uh, for kids, college fees, etc. Number four, use that inflation calculator. Then you have a real figure of what you actually need to retire with 5,000 ringgit every month until the age of 76 from age 55 with all these additional potentially big major expenses all accounted for. So as you can see, it can suddenly grow, you know, from that 1.2 million to become actually a 3.6 million retirement fund needed at the point of retirement. Yeah, and this number is also a conservative number, right? In the sense that you're ballparking for inflation, but the 1.2 million is only until age 76, right? And who's to know what kind of uh, life expectancy individually we have? So this is just a starting point, but you've got to look at these different factors and these different steps to kind of give you a gauge of how much you need to save up, right? Because only then will you be able to know whether you're in line to hit your retirement goals or not. I've been speaking with Idham Idris, Director and Licensed Financial Planner with Wealth Vantage Advisory. Up next, is EPF enough for our retirements? We'll keep it here to Ringgit and Sense to find out. Ringgit and Sense on BFM 89.9, the business station. Welcome back to Ring It and Send, the show that's all about personal finance. I'm Roshan Kanison. This morning, I'm speaking with Idham Idris, Director and Licensed Financial Planner with Wealth Vantage Advisory, and we're talking about retirement planning. Now, you know, when we talk about retirement from the Malaysian perspective, the EPF or the Employees Provident Fund plays a big role for a lot of Malaysians. And a lot of times, many of us depend or take for granted that the EPF will be able to help us uh, or at least sort out our retirements. Uh, and this is a very common question I get asked, Hitam. Is EPF enough for our retirements? Yeah, so EPF has a basic savings figure in mind for all its members. So the basic savings assume that by the time you reach retirement age of 55, you'll be able to withdraw all your EPF savings and spend 1,000 ringgit a month. Yeah, Please bear this in mind. EPF, the figure that they have in mind, this basic savings figure, allows you to spend 1,000 ringgit every month for 20 years. That's all. Okay. So that figure that EPF has in mind for all its members is 240,000 ringgit. Now, first of all, is 1,000 ringgit enough to meet your retirement expenses? And second of all, and it's a bit of a scary statistic, is that Kazana Research Institute findings recently show that at least 80% of EPF contributors do not meet that basic savings figure at retirement age of 55. So you can <laughs> form your own conclusion by, from that. <laughs> yeah, so you know, I've done my own math on this topic, right? Because I'm also trying to figure out how much I need when I hit retirement age. And I've done a few things like assuming a 2% inflation rate and a 3% rate of return during retirement and a 25-year lifespan. Someone who wants to retire and live on a monthly inflation-adjusted amount of 4,000 ringgit will need about 2.2 million ringgit. Is this something that's achievable with EPF alone? Yeah, so you have to bear in mind, EPF only works with what it has. So it depends on the 11% contribution from your gross salary every month 
and the 12% contribution by the employers. So with regards to this, it is only achievable to a select few. Yeah. In fact, if you look at the EPF annual report, I think the last one was 2019, there's less than 500,000 people that currently have more than 250,000. 500,000 Malaysians out of 14 million EPF members. So in fact, in order for someone to really accelerate and make sure that they have the EPF savings required, the gross salary is actually very important. And the organization that you work for need to contribute at least 12%. But if you can work with an organization that actually gives more to their employees, then that is an extra bonus for you. Because EPF allows for companies to contribute up to 19%. Of the employee contribution. So for some people, they are actually getting 30% contribution every month into the EPF versus for most people is the 23% minimum requirement. You know, it feels like we're coming to this kind of conclusion that for most people, EPF isn't enough, right, to be able to fulfill our retirement needs and whether it's an aspirational sort of situation because there's some of the numbers that we talked about, right? The base savings number is 240,000 ringgit. That's 1,000 ringgit a month for 20 years and that's not even including inflation. So a big question is in this relation, how should we be thinking about EPF's role in our retirement planning? Is it basically just a little bit of like a, it's one bucket in the retirement planning scheme? Yeah, definitely. So I think EPF is going beyond retirement planning. Even if you go through the strategic planning, they're looking at a more holistic view to its members' financial well-being. So it's not just focusing on retirement. So it's not just about their investment strategies and dividend returns at the end of the year. That's a lot of what people focus on. But other initiatives like increasing home ownership, you know, from account to withdrawals, you can also withdraw account to to cover major medical expenses, which can actually affect you financially. Raising the standard of education because you can also withdraw the EPF account to go for further studies. Increasing financial literacy through their retirement advisory services. Reducing investment cost of entry because as you know, you can actually withdraw your EPF and invest. And they recently launched the iInvest initiative where you actually invest and get a lower sales charge. In fact, I think they don't even charge. It's, I think, 0%. And of course, ICNA, yeah, helping Malaysians in financial distress during this crisis period. So with regards to that, they're doing a lot of things as well. But I can see that the retirement planning is just one aspect of it. They just want to make sure that at a certain point, all Malaysians have a good standard of financial well-being. And I think that's a very admirable goal. Okay, you know, that's a really refreshing take to look at it, right? Because you're right, account two is used for all sorts of things. And while retirement planning is a big part, it's not the only thing, right? It's a little bit of like a social protection overall scheme that they're going for here. And we can use that as a base amount of retirement savings, you know. So with that in mind, Inham, in order for us to reach our retirement goals, what are our other options to help us out there? So you did mention earlier that you treat EPF as one of your retirement bucket, mm -hmm. yeah? Uh, investment bucket. But there are also a variety of different investment options now that can help you grow your retirement fund. So ultimately, whatever that you choose, it must beat the current inflation rate. So if you assume that inflation rate is 4%, and the investment that you choose has an average return of 5%, that means you're making only net 1%. So if you're going for something that is 
that means you're making net 6% over inflation. So we're talking about unit trust, there's the shares, equity market, robo-advisors, even property. And the most important thing is that you have a withdrawal plan associated with that investment plan. So for example, if you've saved over like 15 to 20 years, then after that, you have a lump sum amount. Where is that lump sum amount going to be placed? Is it going to be placed in like, say, a unit trust fund? Is it going to be placed in an FD fund, which will actually help you to hedge against inflation? And uh, maybe is it in a diversified portfolio of robo-advisors, shares, FD and all that? So to make sure that you're able to withdraw a certain amount every year, like for example, the earlier figure that we mentioned was that 60,000 ringgit a year. How is that withdrawal process going to be based on that retirement fund that you have? What's the percentage that you're able to withdraw every year from that? So ultimately, within the time frame that you have from now until retirement, it's very important to make sure that you have this diversified forms of investment to make sure that you achieve your retirement goal in the stipulated time. Right. So the two key points there, Idham, one is you've got to look at the returns of your potential options, right? And you want to be able to beat inflation by a certain number so that you can compound your money better over time. And then the other one being, what are you going to do with your money when you take it out or if you take it out of EPF at retirement? Because correct me if I'm wrong, but if you have above a million ringgit in your EPF, you can withdraw anything above that million ringgit. Yeah, so basically for members, if you want to do withdrawal, which is withdrawal for straight up expenses or whatever, for your own personal use, yeah, uh, for lack of a better term, if you have more than 1 million above your account, you're able to withdraw. So if let's say your total is 1.5 million, you can actually withdraw 500,000 to do as you want for whatever reason that you want to spend that money for. Right, and... We were talking about options there, Edham, and return was, I think, a particular important point that you made there. Is there anything else that we should be using to assess the different options we have to either supplement or partially replace EPF as our retirement bucket? Do you have a decision matrix that can help us here? So the most important thing is from a simple low to high ranking in terms of lowest risk and lowest return to highest risk and potentially high return, and, you know, in brackets, you have to remember, higher risk, potentially higher return, it also means potentially greater losses, yeah? So you have savings account and FD at the very bottom. And then you have bonds, fixed income funds, and that also includes Tabung Haji and ASB as well. And then you have EPF, then property, robo-advisors, growth unit trust, and then I think the most extreme form is shares. So from the lowest risk to the lowest return, to the highest risk and potentially high return. So that's pretty much the rank from bottom to up. But in order to decide what you want to put in, how much you need to put in all that, you do need to understand what do you have right now? How much do you have currently? You know, how much you're willing to put into these different type of investments and how long it's going to be. Because ultimately, the more time you have, the more risk you can take. So this is where a lot of, especially younger people, when they invest, sometimes they go too conservative and I'm telling them, what's the money for? Mm. And they will say, oh, I need this for retirement. But the retirement is 30 years down the road. 
you can actually afford to take a higher risk. So when you're talking about a higher risk, then they can already change their perception. Oh, I don't need to be investing in something like FD. I can finally consider something like growth unit trust or even unit trust that invest outside of Malaysia, in Asia, in developed markets, for example. So it actually helps you to pinpoint what kind of investments that you might be choosing depending on when do you need the money. And ultimately, that's very important because at the end of the day, like you mentioned, we want to beat the inflation rate. That's very, very important. Yeah, because generally for younger people, it seems like because you have more time, you can take on more risk to hit those goals that you want. And sometimes being too conservative can be to your detriment, right? Because you're not going to be able to, one, beat inflation, but two, tap into the power of long-term compounding to reach your retirement goals, for example. So considering that, Idham, and assuming a long-term average EPF return of 5% or thereabouts, what do you think about taking money out of EPF and reinvesting it in other investment vehicles, whether it's using the iInvest platform or whether it's using any other way of taking the money out to invest in growth unit trusts or robo-advisors that are equity skewed? Take us through the decision process here. So the most important thing is to make this decision only if you are clear on the potential risk and reward of the investment vehicle. Hmm. So that's key. That's number one. Yeah, Because I've seen a lot of people where they make the wrong decision because they've been persuaded or don't understand the risk that is associated with making those kind of investments. So this is why I think one of the things is that EPF also allows the members to do investment via the EPF iInvest platform, which is actually a DIY method, do-it-yourself method. That means you choose the fund, you choose the risk that you want to take and potentially save on the upfront sales charges because EPF iInvest, I think the charges is 0%. Yeah, But if you invest via a financial planner or an agent, there is an upfront sales charge of 1.5%. But at least you do have someone to consult and discuss on the actions. But you have to be clear that at the end of the day, investments takes time to grow. And there are certain other strategies that you do need to implement like dollar cost averaging, asset allocation and things like that. Yeah, But in general, I would say that if you do want to take out, yeah, so this is a very general advice, if you do want to take out from EPF, you cannot go into something that has a similar risk profile or asset allocation as EPF because that would defeat the purpose of you investing. If you invest into something that has a lower risk profile or like a greater allocation of, for example, bonds and fixed income than EPF, that means you are probably accepting lower returns. If you invest into something that is very similar to EPF asset allocation, that means that you're probably going to get the same return. So ultimately, it does mean that maybe you do have to take a greater risk or higher risk when investing your EPF money. So I would generally advise to look into funds that has a different allocation than EPF itself because then there's no reason for you to withdraw if you're just going to invest into something that is very similar to the EPF asset allocation. Right. If you're going to take money out of EPF, you better make sure it's worth it essentially, right? Because if EPF is giving us a current average of around 5%, you don't want to take that money out and put it in a vehicle that gives you 6% on average per annum because is that additional 1% worth the risk you're taking, for example? 
And right. just to wrap up this conversation, Itham, generally I always hear this thing that younger people should focus on growth in terms of whether that means equities or growth funds and things like that. And 5% isn't a growth number, right? It's more of like a moderate return on average. So is 5% per annum too conservative for younger people who are trying to save up for their retirements overall? I think in general, the returns that people need to target for, especially for retirement, has to be between 7 to 8%. That is my general, I would say, the figure that you ultimately have to bear in mind. Because at 200 ringgit a month, like say, just for example, yeah, 200 ringgit a month for 45 years, at 8%, you will get 1 million. That's at 200 ringgit a month, which means that if you want to reach that 1 million figure faster, either you have to put in more money or you have to get something higher than 8% actually. So in general, that's where we are. So when you talk about people who are just starting their career, fresh out of school and all that, if possible, save as much as you can earlier. Yeah? Because then you can actually right on that power of compounding and exponential growth over time because you already started out with a large amount from the very beginning. At the same time, it is imperative actually to have a higher salary or basically a higher income. So it means that whether it's upskilling yourself or making sure that you are working in something that you're really passionate about and you can really make sure that you can earn the good income along the way is actually very, very important because the more income that you have and if you manage your cash flow well, definitely you can save more and definitely that will take care of your retirement moving forward. So, you know, with the FIRE movement, this is something that is very popular. Financially independent, retire early. They want to retire even by age 40 or 45. So how do you do that? That's by making sure that your cash flow is taken care number one, but you do need to make sure your income is also good. And also you need to make sure that the investment returns are in places that is getting generally higher than 5%. I mean, I would say 5% is very minimal when you're talking about long-term growth for retirement. Itam, there's so much more we could be talking about and educating everyone about retirement, but that's really all the time we have left for today. I'd like to thank you very much for joining me today. Yeah, thank you so much, Roshan. Let's hope that what we share today, we can help more and more people make informed decisions on their retirement planning. Well, I certainly hope so. And if you've enjoyed this episode, be sure to go and do your own homework and learn more about retirement planning and your own options when it comes to your long-term growth and long-term financial planning. And on that note, I've been speaking with Idham Idris, Director and Licensed Financial Planner with Wealth Vantage Advisory. And you've been listening to Ringgit and Sense, the show that's all about personal finance. I'm Roshan Karnison for BFM 89.9. Ringgit and Sense on BFM 89.9. The Business Station. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, The Business Station.